Captain Chat Radio, designed just for you. Hi, I am David Donaldson with the Atlanta Healing Center. I am guest hosting today for Dr. Susan Blank with Detailing Addictions. We have a very special guest today, uh, Dr. Paul Hokamaya. He um, he has done extensive research and extensive work in the fields of of a very special population, working with um, celebrities and working with uh, the wealthy, and looking at what happens when these people end up dealing with the disease of addiction. Um, um, he's done extensive research that has been published in in the Lambert Academy Press and um, in the Journal of Wealth Medicine Management. He is. Um, um, Frequently seen on on uh, many national television shows, including um, Dr. Oz Show, Good Morning America, Fox News, CNN, and I am so pleased to have him here today. We have talked regularly, it seems, about um, celebrities that have have passed away as a result of the disease of addiction, um, especially of late and related to um, um, Prince and of dealing with heroin and dealing with fentanyl. Um, and we're always talking about it in the aftermath of these people that have have become such a, tra- a tragedy. So so hopefully today we're going to learn more about the dynamics that, that leave somebody set up for that situation. Um, before we get in that, that into that, though, I, I need to just speak briefly about um, the tragedies at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida. Um, I've been been very sad by the situation. I know most of the listeners and most of America has been really upset by the situation um, and and drawn to really watching every bit of, of what's being shown on the news and, and finding um, that that has been such a close-to-home hit that... that needing to own it and share it and recognize that that has impacted um, many people and in particular people dealing with addiction where where feelings of vulnerability are often reasons for medicating. Um, so I needed to take some time to mention that and, and express our sorrows and our, our regrets for the people down there. Um, would you prefer I call you Paul or, or Dr. Hokemeyer? Hokemeyer? <laughs> Well, Dr. Hokemeyer is a bit cumbersome, isn't it? So <laughs> you can call me Paul or Dr. Paul. Dr. Paul, that sounds good. Much easier. Um, um, anything that you would like to say related to that, or shall we jump right into celebrities? Well, I, th- I thank you for acknowledging that the tragedy occurred, and I think that you know we're living in some violent and some angry times, and um, it makes us, makes people who suffer from addictions, as you said, feel very vulnerable and I think it is important to talk about it. I think that it's important to recognize that these issues are going on um, both on our conscious and our unconscious level and we're constantly absorbing them in the media and media is such an important part of our lives now that we can't ignore it. We can't deny that what we consume in the media is like what we consume in terms of our food. And so we need to be very careful and very judicious about what we put into our psyche in terms of media and um, how often we're consuming it. So um, with that, we can sort of launch into celebrity. Right? <laughs> it seems like a good segue between celebrity and the media. That does absolutely work. Absolutely work. When these tragic events happen, they do absolutely consume the media and, and they become the thing that everyone focuses on for a while, and then our, our, our short-term memory, they, they tend to go back into the background until the next one happens. Um, you, you have really spent 
your your career focusing on on research related to dealing with with um, the wealthy and dealing with celebrities. Um, um, do you want to talk a little bit about your background and what it is that brought you into um, this population? Sure. I uh, started my career, interestingly enough, as an attorney. I um, did the traditional route of going to college and then going to law school and practicing law. I went into the field of, uh, of human rights. Uh, or I went to work for a human rights organization, and then I went into the environmental movement. And as part of that work, I began to see how people who were funding the organizations, who were doing funding this extraordinary work, were being treated, uh, how they, they were being viewed as objects, uh, people to be kind of hunted down and manipulated. And they were valued not so much for their humanness, but for the money that they gave to the organizations. And so they became really stripped of their humanness and became objects to be manipulated by these other organizations. And that's a pattern that I've seen in terms of working with celebrities. I uh, left the practice of law and I uh, went into the field of psychology. I really had a transformative experience. I was living in Europe in Amsterdam when September 11th happened. And as a white privileged male who grew up in America, the security of my world had always been guaranteed. And then on September 11th, it wasn't. There was this profound shift that occurred. And so I wanted to do, I wanted, I was pulled back to America. I, America is an amazing country, and we have such diversity here, and there's such opportunity here. And I wanted to come back on American soil and, and to do work that was significant. Um, and I decided to go back to school and I got a master's degree in clinical psychology because I was interested in families and families are critically important to our society and to our culture and having healthy families. I did that uh, degree and then I decided I needed more education uh, out of curiosity and I wanted to do my own independent research. And so I explored what it's like to be a person of wealth and a person of celebrity. We, as a society and as a culture, have very distinct ideas, very preconceived notions, very strong prejudices as to what that experience is like. But when you live in the skin of a celebrity, when you live in the skin of a person of wealth, it's often a very different experience. And there's this profound disconnect between what the world, how the world views you, what the world expects you to be, what the world demands you to be in many different occasions and living with the vulnerability that comes comes through that. And so I did that research, and it was published, and I um, have really been studying that experience and using it in the realm of addictions uh, and to see how this particular identity, uh, what happens when you have a person who's a celebrity or a person who has an enormous amount of wealth who suffers from an addictive process, and, and what we can do as professions to do a better job of treating them. Do you, do you find that the uh, those two populations are are pretty similar um, in terms of the wealthy? I'm I'm, I'm thinking of the celebrity in terms of people who have have worked really hard at some particular um, craft and become very famous because of that craft, and then become celebritized um, um, or objectified because of that. Um, um, versus people who have been either raised with wealth or raised in a in a dynamic that's that's filled with money, and and so I wonder if, if those two dynamics, when you're when you're meeting these people, is it, does, do you approach it differently? What you really look for is the isolation that occurs. So with both extraordinary wealth 
and celebrity, there's a profound isolation that occurs so that people don't really exist in the normal flow of society. They um, live deep behind gates. They fly in private jets. They have their own private physicians, as we've seen tragically in the case of Michael Jackson. Um, and so there's this isolation that occurs, and then there's this manipulation that can occur in their lives. So because they ha- surround themselves by people who are sycophants, syph- syph- who are basically only with them because of their presentation in the world, um, they enable this behavior, and they're not really they, they don't challenge them as people in the normal course of the world are challenged. And and this isolation that occurs really enables their addiction to just go deeper, deeper, and get stronger and stronger. Sycophants. Sycophants. That's a great word. Hokemeyer <laughs> and sycophants. <laughs> two, two very difficult words to pronounce. Uh-huh, and, and you're going to make me work on both of those. <laughs> um. um so that that isolation and and um, manipulation, two words that we always talk about in working with addiction, and that addiction thrives in both those areas, and also it, it creates those areas. Is it is it um, in in working with that population and, and beginning to help them come out of that? Is that do you find that's a challenge to help them be able to have recovery in the real world? I, I know our practice, most practices, are really about connecting with community, connecting with 12-step communities, connecting in places that are supposed to be anonymous but, you know, aren't necessarily. How does how does that tend to work in a well, you used a very good phrase, which is coming out. And so in my work, I've drawn a lot from uh, therapies, feminist psychology, and psychology dealing with other disempowered minority groups like the LGBT population. And there's a notion uh, that grew out of uh, a researcher, Ilya Mayer, out of, out of Columbia University, came up with the construct of minority stress. And that maintains that people who exist in minorities in society, like um, LGBT people, people of color, women, they suffer from higher rates of mental health and addictive disorders, not because they're genetically predisposed to them, but because they exist as a stigmatized minority in our society. And that stress that they, this additional stress that they have to deal with by being but that identity causes them to self-medicate in unhealthy ways. So when you're dealing with a celebrity who suffers from an addictive disorder, you have what I refer to as a double closet. They need to come out first as a person, as a human being who suffers from an addictive disorder. Now we know in the general population at large, that's quite a challenge, isn't it? So because addictions are really surrounded in a whole sort, you know, lots of lots of defense mechanisms, denial, rationalization, and um, coming forward with that identity and transcending the shame and the stigma that's still associated around it. And then once they do that, then they have to come forward with their full identities um, as a person of wealth and a celebrity who also suffers with that. And there's some real risks that they take in doing that. Um, You know, we like to think that it's quite chic or uh, fashionable to have an addictive, addictive disorders, but we look at what we do as a society and as a culture 
with the celebrities who come out. Justin Bieber is a good example. Uh, Lindsay Lohan, the way that the media treated Lindsay Lohan was horrific. Uh, the way that the media makes fun of Justin Bieber, who is struggling like anybody else. He's a very young man who's come into an enormous amount of wealth and success, and he's finding his way in the world with that identity. And yet the media... Uh, just has a field day with them. So uh, the way that we're looking at this population is is quite unfair. And so again, these these human beings have to transcend first the closet of their substance abuse disorder, and then the closet of their celebrity identity. That's an, uh, a very interesting in the sense that they they really are having to to be vulnerable. Um, in an in an area where they're already um, um, objectified and and put on on the camera and, and everybody's making assumptions about these people, um, I find myself when I think about the the isolation that happens and and, and the tendency of the Suckermeyers, <laughs> I'm assuming the people that really just kind of cling on to them that that they would be the be. Uh, motivated to help them stay in the closet, that there would be a real enabling pressure, pressure from the people around them to, um, in order to protect their careers and to protect their celebrity status, kind of push some of these things back? Well, that's exactly right. And when you think about it, they have a huge, huge financial incentive for them to keep on working. I mean, when you look back at Judy Garland, Judy Garland was employed by the studio. The studio had a big financial investment in her. They kept on propping her up with drugs to keep going, going, going. And there are whole industries that are set up around these, these people and their image in the world. Not the truth of their being, but the projection of, the, of their, the, this image that society craves. We're going to have to take a break. We will be back in just a minute to continue talking with Dr. Paul about celebrities and addiction. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. America's Web Radio is the most diverse and informative radio station anywhere in cyberspace. We have shows about health, business, current events, entertainment, home care, and everything in between. We appreciate your continued support of America's Web Radio. This is Doug Dahlgren of The Prologue. America's Web Radio offers a wide variety of programming that will keep you interested and entertained throughout your week. There are shows about medicine and your health, energy issues, antique cars, our constitution, vegetables and gardening, politics and opinion, business issues, and legal matters, like drones and how they can affect your life. 
On Fridays at 11 a.m., you can listen to my show, The Prologue, with a new author and a book I just know you'll want to read. The good news is, if you miss a show, they're all archived and available in podcast form when you're ready to listen as often as you like. So stay tuned, won't you, to America's Web Radio and add to the enjoyment of your day. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is David Donaldson with... Detailing Addictions. I'm covering for Dr. Susan Blank today, here talking with Dr. Paul, um, um, and we're talking about celebrities and addiction. Um, I thought we would back up just for a minute and talk about why that why it is that we, we see so many um, um, celebrities that, that are dealing with this issue and, and why it's made so public. I think we see so many celebrities dealing with this issue because celebrity is extraordinarily hard to hold. It's there's such energy in it. It's like an electric current, and it um, it's difficult to manage successfully. I mean, when we look out at celebrities who have had long-term careers, who have really been able to sustain their careers for an extended period of time, it's it's quite few, isn't it? And so, when we look at celebrities who have burned out, when we look at celebrities who we have lost far, far too soon. The names are legion, so um, I. F- it's because the power of celebrity is so profound and it's so extraordinary, and it's so difficult to hold that celebrities reach out to self-medicate and to self-soothe um, the intensity of it and get themselves into trouble and um, unfortunately um, leave us far too soon. I've, I've thought, been thinking about the list of people you've mentioned, Judy Garland and, and um, Prince, and, and how many of these people are people that we fall in love with, with their talent and their, their, their style, and their uniqueness in their style. Um, um, and and we, we put them up in, into an idle place immediately, um, and, and then we begin to just kind of pursue them until, until they're gone. Um, so I, I would imagine it's kind of a two-edged thing with us wanting more and more and more and them trying to hang on to both the celebrity and their sanity. Um, is, there, is there a place where we should be intervening, intervening quicker? I mean, there's a sense that we really do see the tragedy coming to, to, uh, coming to head. And I keep every time we hear about a tragedy, I find myself thinking... Why didn't they just get on the phone and call Dr. Susan Blank and we could have fixed this situation sooner? And, and feeling like there should be some way we should could intervene sooner in some of these, these catastrophes. 
Well, well, I think you know you mentioned one of the thought leaders and one of the extraordinary clinicians in our space in the field, and that's Dr. Susan Blank. Susan has this extraordinary capacity to hold a frame with difficult patients, and within that frame, to navigate and to practice the art of psychotherapy, which which it is, and so few clinicians have that capacity to do it. Most clinicians are seduced by the fame and fortune, and they identify their worth and their identity by the patients who they treat, and they become just another object of that um, patient's life. So if we look at an an example like Michael Jackson. So Michael Jackson had his own private um, physician, and the physician was basically administering uh, a lethal, what ended up to being a lethal drug to Michael Jackson. And so he was completely seduced into Michael Jackson's life and completely manipulated by Michael Jackson. And so what do, one of the things that we know about addictions is that it's cunning, baffling, and powerful, and it's profoundly manipulative. And so once it takes a hold on the person's life, regardless of whether they're a celebrity, um, it will manipulate everything in that person's life to get its needs met, its incessant needs met, and often its deadly needs met. And so that's what we see with celebrities. Um, So that even though they could cry, be crying out for help, uh, Whitney Houston, I think, is is a good example of this. You know, people in Hollywood knew that Whitney Houston, it was common knowledge that Whitney Houston was struggling with addiction, and yet she was never effectively intervened on um, because, again, that the force, the power, the intensity of that celebrity keeps people away, and it's too few clinicians who are able to hold that space. Uh, That's a large part of my work now, is training clinicians on how to hold that space and how to deal with their own issues around celebrity, and we all have them. You know, clinicians tend to forget that we're human, and that we have thoughts, and that we have emotions, and that we have feelings, and when a screen idol comes into us for treatment, that we're going to have a reaction to that person. Let's not pretend that we're, we're, we're let's not pretend that we're not going to have a reaction to that person. We are. The issue becomes: What do we do with that reaction? Do we suppress it and pretend that it doesn't exist, or do we use it in a constructive way to establish? what we call a therapeutic alliance, which is a nurturing, trusting, supportive relationship with that patient that really gets to the core of the human, the humanness, their vulnerabilities, what they're terrified of, um, so that we can work with them to bring about some reparative change. So getting to the place where they're able to be human and and be vulnerable um, and being and able to start letting go of that manipulation. Um, I, I know in dealing with with addicts and alcoholics, you're regularly having to deal with boundaries and, and setting, um, addressing the manipulation when it's coming at you. Um, we, on a, on a daily basis, we'll have patients who want extra um, attention or extra medications or extra this or that, and they're wanting some some affirmation that lets them know that, that you're there and you're willing and you're caring for them which generally is some sort of, I just want this little bit more from you. Um, so that, that little piece that's happening in a, in a relationship with somebody that, that has the clout of celebrity ends up becoming a fatal situation. Very much so. I mean, you know, one could argue that Michael Jackson committed suicide and that the vehicle that he used to commit suicide was his physician. That's how 
much he, this physician that he had was in his control. And so you have all of these people who get seduced by this power and this manipulation. And clinicians need to do a better job of really recognizing what's going on and being able to work in that in a way that challenges the patient and moves the patient forward while still maintaining the integrity of their relationship. Because one of the other issues of people of wealth and celebrity is this notion of what we call hyper-agency. So they have this profound capacity to control their world. So if we look back on the case of Prince. Prince was flying from a jet from here in Atlanta to uh, Minneapolis. He had an overdose. He The jet landed, and he was given a drug that counteracted the overdose, and off the jet went again, and he took him took him back home on its way as if nothing happened. And so um, very few people have that capacity to do that, but when things um, get uncomfortable, when, when uh, if that was a normal situation, if, if Prince would have been on a, a flight, a commercial flight, it would have been grounded. The poli- other systems would have been pulled in. The police would have been pulled in. Um, the healthcare system, the hospital would have been pulled in. And so there would have been other systems that have, would intervene in there to take over and take charge and move that particular person back on a path of recovery. Well, Prince could just get back because it was his jet and he uh, he owns the pilot and the jet. He could just get back in his jet and go back to his home and continue on using um, so 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 there's that this this notion of hyperagency they're so able to manipulate the externals of their world so that they don't have to live in the normal flow of the world and uh, be accountable in a way that um, other people are well and and that part of their their um, personality or, or their drive is also part of what we admire um, in the processing after Prince had passed away with, and listening to the different celebrities talk about their experience with him, I remember Jimmy Fallon talking about playing ping pong with Phila, with Prince. I don't know if you've heard that story, but he kept getting this message that Prince wanted him to play ping pong, and he was never able to make it happen. And finally, one night, he was able to get there. He got there. He immediately lost the game, and Prince left. And that was the whole of the story, but it was told with such admiration. You know, that this was, he was summoned by Prince and he played ping pong with Prince and it was a phenomenal experience. You know, and, and that is what captivated the audience, that we were watching this power, you know. Um, so it's easy to see how, how they can be trapped in that and dealing with the fatal, fatal illness that's, that's also, also coming against them. Well, that's exactly right. It's a tidal wave, isn't it? So it's a tidal wave um, of uh, issues that, that come into play here, and people just get, um, well, they drown in the tidal wave, don't they? So, again, we just need to be cognizant of the fact that celebrity is a profound force, and um, I think we do need to do a better job of giving celebrities a break. You know, and then we get angry when... Um, celebrities don't act the way that we want them to act. We become so invested in what our perception is of who they should be, what they should look like. God forbid a middle-aged female or or a young female actress gains a few pounds. Um, 
we're relentless. Our society and our culture is absolutely relentless towards them. And, you know, showing a picture, an unflattering picture of a celebrity or a celebrity or a middle-aged man getting out of the ocean with uh, one of those uh, spare tire around them um, sells a lot of magazines, doesn't it? And we all sort of take this uh, this pleasure in um, saying, oh, look, this particular celebrity uh, has a flaw, and we're gonna we're gonna make fun of her, and and that's just it's unfortunate and unfair, and it's actually damaging. Absolutely, absolutely, it puts um, it adds much more pressure. I guess it takes away some of our own self doubt, but but it ends up making them much more vulnerable. We're gonna have to take another break. When we come back, we'll continue talking about the the disease of addiction in celebrities. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Buzz off with Lawyer Liz. Join me each week, Wednesdays at 2 o'clock, as we talk drones, Internet of Things, and technology. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is David Donaldson. Welcome back to Detailing Addictions with Dr. Susan Blank. My guest today is Dr. Paul Hokema. <laughs> Hokemeyer. Hokemeyer. Dr. Paul, let's keep it simple. We're going to stick back to 
keeping it simple. And we're talking about um, about celebrities dealing with the disease of addiction, hopefully trying to work on ha- finding ways to head this off rather than always talking about it after the tragedy. Um, so moving on into to doing that, are there what can we change? What kind of things can we look at to do differently in, in working with this population so that we don't have to read so, about so many of them in the newspaper? Well, I think we do need to do a better job of coming up with more effective interventions in terms of intervening on issues when we see them arising and not just intervening but then delivering them to healthcare providers, to professionals who have done their own work around their own issues around celebrities um, and making sure that the clinician is not in it for their own ego, not in it for the money, um, really has an understanding of all the dynamics and the complexity that uh, these cases bring. It's a very sophisticated patient. It's a very... um, as we talked about before, highly energized patient and making sure that we have people who are really trained in this work as a cultural competency. You know, we've done an extraordinary job as a profession in terms of working with uh, minority populations uh, as cultural competency. Uh, When we think about the extraordinary work that's done around LGBT populations, that's done with women, we have a very robust body of research and of theoretical interventions and constructs that we use to formulate cases to work with these particular human beings. The difference is that when we're dealing with a minority group, when we're dealing with a minority group who exists in the world as a celebrity or person of wealth, the difference is that people of wealth live in the world in positions of power. Women, LGBT people, other minority groups exist in the world in positions of powerlessness. That's what unites them at the margin. And so clinicians are very comfortable in working with groups who present with less power than they, than they have um, because uh, these particular individuals look at them um, as better educated, um, as experts in the field. And they are much more willing to be compliant with their suggestions, to follow their instructions. People of wealth and celebrity, however, where the world revolves around them, they can be quite difficult patients. Um, They're going to question your authority. They're going to question your intelligence. Are you smart enough? Are you strong enough? Can you handle my blowback? Because guess what? Nobody else can, and I'm used to that, and so I'm going to test you. I'm going to push you. I'm going to really try to push you away and do everything I can so that you prove to me that you're worthy of my trust. And that um, is a test that far uh, too many clinicians simply fail. So a lot of your work is helping clinicians to be able to own their own um, their own feelings around celebrities, around wealth, and to help them to be able to pass those tests. Um, um, do you find that that once celebrities get through that point, that they're able to become vested in, in recovery? They're able to make the the do the work that recovery requires in in terms of learning to live and self soothe without drugs or alcohol. 
Absolutely. The, you know, the nature of, of the human experience is that we crave connection with other human beings. That's how we're built. You know, when we think about how we come into this world, we're intimately connected with our mothers. We grow inside of of her, and so this connection is our life force. And once we come out of the womb, we're constantly searching for that connection. We're constantly searching for that safe womb. And celebrities don't have it. They lose it. Um, you know, when somebody said something brilliant about Judy Garland, extraordinary performer, uh, extraordinary. And uh, they said when they're watching her perform, every time she performed, a little bit of her died. And so it was that she became completely depleted at the end. There was nothing left of the humanness of Judy Garland. She was the shell of a performer. And so celebrities, like other, because they're human beings, uh, to we tend to think sometimes that they're not, we tend to think that they're gods and goddesses, uh, that they uh, become, uh, they really search, they crave for that human connection. But because they're so used to being viewed as an object, because they may even view themselves very much as an object, uh, because they haven't developed an internal sense of being, an internal sense of self, this is very common among young celebrities who really become uh, hugely uh, famous and successful and they become associated with their character on, on the television or, or wherever it is now. We have, of course, an explosion in uh, young adults and teenagers who are these internet sensations and the YouTube sensations and so we have a whole other generation of that and anyone can seem to be a celebrity. I mean, if the Kardashians can do it, it seems as though anybody, <laughs> uh, anybody can. And so uh, we, again, you know, they don't have this capacity. They don't develop this internal construct. And people then become unsafe. Other human beings become unsafe because they're just there to suck their life force away from them. So connecting with a celebrity in a reparative way um, is, is, is difficult. It's certainly not impossible. It's very difficult, and too few clinicians have the skills to do that. I am, imagine even the capacity to, to have the, the first encounter. Um, and I think about our practice. The, the first encounter, more often than not, is coming from their chief enabler, either their wife or their mom. Um, and, and they're the person that comes, and they have all of the story in the background, and they're the person that, although they're very, very much entrenched in the disease of addiction with their family member they're also the one who's making recovery start you know because the addict is not seeing their bottom they're not able to reach out and get the help they can't they don't know that they're going to be able to make it past day one um with celebrities who who because even their families real often you hear about celebrities having to sue especially the young celebrities having to sue for their control of their assets and 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 their even their family members often are becoming unsafe how how do you even get that initial start with a celebrity? Typically, they're going to come from one of the influencers in their life. So, and typically, it's motivated because there's some financial issues that their, their career isn't going as well as it should be going. They're not. Bottom line, they're not making as much money as that they could be making, and so the manager will contact or. Um, Somebody else who is close to them will contact them, and um, then they come in. And then, of course, the people get terrified, right, because, okay, this situation is untenable. We need to change it. And then when they come in and then they see what changing will entail, then, of course, 
they get terrified themselves because, you know, they're invested in the power and control that they have. And when a celebrity is compromised, when they're compromised by a mental health disorder or uh, a substance abuse disorder that's been in the closet that there is an extraordinary amount of shame attached to, that's something that these people have power over, right? So then now they have the upper hand on the celebrity, and so they have a piece of information that they feel is their kernel of gold in many ways. Um, and so, yes, they do come to treatment from um, from those sources, but, you know, many times, like, the, 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 the patients that I work with in my private practice, um, they've come to me either through a referral from another clinician um, or they come themselves. Um, I've had a few calls from, you know, like their business manager or their personal assistant who wants to interview me about doing it. I, I pretty I shut that down pretty quickly because it, it's, it, again, it's just another layer. Um, I'll, give, I'll answer some preliminary questions, but I need to talk to the patient themselves, and the patient needs to make a decision for his or herself whether or not I'm smart and safe enough for them to come and see. And um, interestingly enough, the, the cases where the uh, assistant has contacted me about seeing X, Y, or Z celebrity, they, they haven't worked out um, because it's just sort of they think that this is like a short-term it's just it's just kind of a an immediate uh, they think it's an immediate solution, but they're not really willing to follow through and do the work mm-hmm. that it takes to 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 come and to do the real treatment. Yeah, it's interesting because even in at, at the common level, when the, when it's the mom or the spouse that's gotten there, there's a sense of okay, I've gotten him to you now, fix him and send him home, um, because the the work of recovery is just that it's hard work. Um, um, so once they have gotten to you and you begin, you've begun helping them, are there other things that you find you have to do in, in, a, a, in a special way to help them with that trust bond or to help them through the, the testing period to get to the other side and, and begin actually um, begin the work of recovery? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I need to be very clear about me and and where, what what's happening with me um, as a celebrity, as as a working with a celebrity a clientele, because I'm going to have a reaction. I'm human, and so, for instance, if uh, um, a certain celebrity came into me, I, an example that I that I give is that in New York, I live downtown. Um, and and a famous supermodel happens to live in downtown New York, and um, I would see the supermodel on the street from time to time, and I would have this limbic system, central nervous system reaction that I would be like, oh, my God, there's X, Y, or Z, and she's getting into a cab or she's going down into the subway, and and so I would have this reaction, and I needed to acknowledge that I had this reaction and have a way to manage it and deal with it because probably every other person has that same reaction to this particular person. And so I can't pretend that I'm not going to have a reaction. I need to acknowledge that I'm going to have it and then have a process to deal with it. Um, Typically, what what I see a real flag from a clinician is when I go to make a referral and I'll say, this person is this patient is has a TV show and you'll know who they are and the clinician is, gets very dismissive and says I have no idea who they are I don't watch television 
<laughs> bringing up this tone of superiority, and that to me, and being out of touch, <laughs> and being out, of, but being out of touch with themselves, because they will know who that we live in a hyper-connected world. They will know who this person is, and they will have a reaction. And the point that they, the the, the fact that they deny that they're going to have a reaction, is going to be very destructive to the relationship. I was talking. Uh, I had a, a new patient. Who, I do couples, a lot of couples work. And I had a patient contact me who was a celebrity. I was traveling and wanted to come in to do therapy between him and his wife. I was going through an airport, and we were trying to we were playing phone tag. And every time I would pass a newsstand in an airport, and you know that there are lots of them, I would see this particular individual with his spouse on the cover of a magazine. And we finally connected, and... We were talking and and getting on and and I said, you know, I have to say, I have to say that you know I'm I'm in I'm in the Atlanta airport, and I keep as we're trying to connect, I keep seeing you and your spouse on the cover of this magazine, and here we are talking about all the marital difficulties that you're having. I imagine that would make you feel profoundly vulnerable, and there was this silence, and in that silence, I thought. Oh my God! Did I totally mess this up? Is he just going to hang up the phone? We're going to have to find out if he hung up the phone or not when we get back from this break. We'll, when we come back, we'll be talking with Dr. Paul about celebrities and addiction. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. 
Welcome back. This is David Donaldson with Detailing Addictions, covering for Dr. Susan Blank. And I'm here talking with Dr. Paul about celebrities and addiction. And we are at the midst of a cliffhanger, um, finding out how the couple responded to this phone call. <laughs> well, after I sort of held myself figuring out what, what this particular patient was going to say, I heard this incredible sigh. And he said, well, that's an incredible observation, and you're absolutely right. And this is something that we struggle with, that here we are on the cover of this international magazine, and yet internally um, we're struggling with issues that, that you know any couple would struggle with. And so it's this, this, this the difference, the dissidence between external perfection and the pressure to, to maintain this external perfection which is extraordinary. We were just talking a little bit here on the break about the, the price of fame and the price of, of fortune and the sacrifices that have to be made and uh, the dedication and the relentlessness that goes into uh, being successful in such a hyper-competitive space. And, and then the pressure of maintaining that success because... Um, there's such fear, right? Because you're only as good as your last movie or you're only as good as your last TV show. And if you had a huge success, um, how do you... What's your next act going to be? What's your next show going to be? You're the fans of your prior show or either going to love you or they're going to really hate you. And so it's just... There's extraordinary pressure to maintain that level of success. Because there is, is certainly an expectation from the public that the person they get to know is the person that's really there, even though intellectually everyone knows this as a character. You know, it's actually more than, than, than an expectation. It's an entitlement that fans feel entitled to have that person remain fixed forever, to never change. Um, and And so through this entitlement they get profoundly angry when the celebrity changes or changes the color of their hair or um, has plastic surgery that they disagree with or, or, or something so so it's this you know as long as things are going well with the celebrity and they're meeting their as you said uh, expectations which is entirely true it's fine but once they don't their sense of entitlement kicks in and they can be really malicious and, and harsh. I um, I find even myself, if I see a, see a person um, like on, on late night talk show and I've gotten really connected to them as a particular character, that it's hard to, hard to make that transition, especially if they sound different or they're just not meeting that expectation or that, that perception. Um, Part of what your other story highlights, though, is that so often the celebrities are coming out of an event that's caused a lot of shame. There's been some sort of crisis or some sort of camera angle that's been completely misinterpreted by the public, but it's put a, a huge amount of shame onto a situation. Um, and, and many of the examples in, in modern time, you're, you're having to deal with shame issues up front as you're forming that trust relationship, I would, I would also imagine. Well, you're dealing it right. You're dealing with it in a way that is really well, this is where the art of therapy comes in, and the art of good psychotherapy comes in. So that you're being able to um, negotiate that. And again, 
you know, being honest with with the patient and and not pretending that they're not a celebrity and 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 trying to really explore what that's like with that. What is it like to be on the cover of X Y or Z magazine? What is it like to have just won an Oscar? Um, so uh, those sorts of, of conversations. And, and if the patient is really honest, if, if you've really established a patient, you know, the, the patient can get to a place of, of fear, like this profound terror in terms of, I've just won this Oscar, and what's next? You know, I've worked my entire life to get this Oscar. It has been my... Uh, reason to exist, and and I f- focused all of my energy, all of my emotions, every ounce of my being, into this goal, and now I have this statute, and what, like, so what, like, what do I do with it? Um, and next, and then what's next? And then, God forbid, I should have to look at myself um, as perhaps an aging middle-aged woman or an, an aging, middle-aged, balding man. Um, I even find the, the Olympics, with the Olympics are about to open, and, and you know, our 13, 14-year-old gymnastics that, that we t- turn into stars, and they're stars for that year after the Olympics, and then they're kind of forgotten about. And you'll end up reading about them in People magazine 10 years later and all the troubles they've gone through. Um, um other celebrities that we don't necessarily think about having that same that same dynamic. That's exactly right. And you know, when we talk about the notion of celebrity, we like to talk about the extreme examples, the Oscar winners. But you know, every every community has their celebrities. Every community has people who are very well known in the community. And and so um, these issues relate to them as well. And so there's the whole business of. Um, image management and and how do you deal with that um, and so that's one of the things that I know your clinic does a good job with in terms of dealing with prominent people in the community who are struggling with these issues and how do they navigate um, that how do they navigate living in an externally beautiful house that could be in Buckhead or, or whatever and yet having a son or a daughter who died in that house from a heroin overdose how, how, do, you, how do you negotiate that how do you navigate that yeah, that is absolutely part of the crisis that people dealing with addiction have to have to manage, and a painful one. It's extraordinarily painful because, uh, in addition to having to deal with the reality, um, which is devastating, you have to manage this this profound shame and this profound disappointment over. Well, wait a minute. The world that I grew up in told me. That if I was successful and I could buy a house in Buckhead, then I would have all the answers that I really wouldn't have any problems. And yet, I have all this stuff, right? I have the house in Buckhead. I send my kids to the fancy school. I have two European cars in the driveway. And there's this problem that I can't deal with. And what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Because I have all of this external stuff, and yet I still do have to deal with this extraordinarily destructive internal problem. Part of what brings you to Atlanta, I know, is your work with the Karen, um, 
Karen Center and Karen Foundation. Um, do you want to take a few minutes before we run out of time to tell us about what brings you here to to the South and, and what's going on in your world? Uh, sure. Thank you. I um, have been with the Karen Treatment Centers, which is a not-for-profit uh, treatment organization. I think we have like around 400 beds. Um, the primary campus is in Warnersville, Pennsylvania. Uh, they have a facility in Florida. I have the distinct privilege of uh, being one of the architect of a very small niche program in Boca Raton, Florida called Ocean Drive. We have um, 14 beds, seven beds for women, seven beds for men, and we're really dealing with um, what I call the lawyers, doctors, Indian chiefs of the world, of the world. Um, people who um, need a higher level of care, people who are looking for a higher level of amenities and who really need um, bespoke treatment in terms of having a clinical team that surrounds them and that uh, is able to sort of acknowledge them for who they are in the world um, and enabling them to stay connected to their world in a way that has clinical teeth to it and helping move them to a reparative experience of of, of really maximizing uh, who they are in the world. And since this is a political season right now, I dare I not uh, get into sort of politics, but, you know, I was watching uh, one of the debates on television, and I heard one of the candidates promise um, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and rang rather hollow, I must say, uh, <laughs> from this candidate. But then I it thought, I thought to myself, well, isn't that what we're doing in treatment? Isn't that what we as treatment professionals are doing? Um, we patients come to us, and they're on the verge of death, be it a physical death or an emotional death. We give them back their life. They're trapped. They're entrapped. They're enslaved by an addiction, be it to alcohol, be it to sex, be it to food, be it to whatever. And we liberate them from that from that addiction. And then we enable them to become the human beings who they are so they can go out into the world and have lives that are ha- happy and healthy and have meaning. And, you know, the work that we do, the work that you're doing, um, the work that Susan does, it's, it's extraordinary and it's such a privilege to be able to do the work. So thank you for the opportunity uh, to talk about it and it's great to be here in Atlanta. Thank you so much. I'm glad that you were here and I really appreciated our conversation today. Uh, Thank you listeners for joining us and we will be back next week with Detailing Addictions and Dr. Susan Blink. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.